Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on the power of political and civic engagement. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about what civic and political engagement means to them and how they are involved in their communities. If you want to be involved in the podcast and get behind the scenes content about each episode, you can head over to patreon.com slash growing democracy. OH. You sure can. And, uh, this was a wild episode. It's a wild story. <laughs> and I feel, <laughs> I also feel like we have to add an asterisk, uh, beforehand that, uh, you know, we're nonpartisan. We don't endorse any, you know, political candidates, but at the same time, like we can't, not talk about political candidates when we're talking about political and civic engagement, because that's what so many people do, right? right. Is engage in these, you know, in, in these, you know, whether it's somebody that's running for office or somebody that's actually actively in office. So, yeah. Yeah. And so this episode, I think, is interesting because the person that we're talking with, we know them because uh, of their affiliations with Kent State University as a student and their their longtime commitment to the Growing Democracy Project. They've attended events and a longtime listener of the podcast. So it was a really great opportunity to to have a listener of the podcast and someone we've known kind of on to share their own story. But their story is deeply connected with partisan political campaigning and working for partisans, um, elected officials who are affiliated with a very specific political party. So I think that's, it's so important that we kind of both caveat it, but also recognize that that's a part of people telling their political stories and part of like their, their lives and how they engage in civic and political spaces. Right. And I mean, and, and while a lot of his story is, you know, partisan in nature, a lot of it also isn't. I mean, he's, he's I know, yeah, for sure. <laughs> today spends a lot of time talking about that there's a lot of power, right, in finding common interest in, you know, seeking common goals in, you know, getting to a place where uh, people aren't, you know, in, in order to be an engaged populace, you really do have to be an informed populace and like how that even like can start to be processed, uh, you know, when, when people don't necessarily agree on or recognize facts. And so I thought it was, it was a story that was partisan, but also not. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So because I think our guest's name is Bill and because Bill's story is very much associated with his, his partisan affiliation, it becomes the lens through which he tells his story of civic and political engagement as affiliated with the democratic party. But so many of the lessons and the conversations and the directions that we go, they translate into so many different places, even if it was outside of the the, the Democratic Party. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just his experience with, you know, Senator Brown's office, which, absolutely. which you know, was for me, it actually reminded me of a, of a story that I have of uh, Senator McCain when I lived in Arizona and uh, got married and was trying to change my last name. And it was it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare working with the Social Security office to get my last name changed, which, you know, women, of course, we have to do it. That's apparently the social norm. Yeah. Uh, but, but we're going to put as many roadblocks in the way as we can. Uh, and went to, in desperation, went to Senator McCain's office. And, you know, sure enough, 
two weeks later, I had a letter that fixed it all. So, you know, that, that, that those are the things that senators can do for us that we may not even recognize that, that that's a, a way in which, uh, you know, government can, can help us. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm, I'm super excited to, uh, to share this episode with our listeners. Uh, we're talking with Bill Showstrand today. Originally from Martinsville, Indiana, Bill moved to Cleveland in 2009. After the 2016 election, he decided to go back to college and devote himself to public service. Bill obtained an Associates of Arts from Tri-C in 2018, magnum cum laude, undergrad from Kent State University in 2020, summa cum laude, and now is working on his Master's of Public Administration at Kent State as well. He's worked on city, county, and federal levels um, in government, uh, and Bill is engaged to Zan Lamoureux and has four children, one son, one daughter, and two stepdaughters, as well as one amazing granddaughter. And full disclosure, Bill is a former student of mine. I've had him in both undergraduate and graduate classes, <laughs> and really excited to have you with us today, Bill. Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. So full disclosure, what's Ashley like as a faculty? No, I, that's oh, a job. No. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, you know, just a little bit more about me is, is when I decided to go back to college, I said, you know what? Cleveland State's down the road. I'll apply at Cleveland State. They denied me based on my grades from 1992 in high school. And I said, really? I'm like, that's funny. I said, because if I ask mom, I guarantee it, she still has the acceptance letter that you gave me in 1992 based on the same exact grades. And then the guy I was talking to goes, well, I'm going to say something to you off the record. I'm like, okay, cool. He goes, go to Tri-C. It's cheaper. He said, and then you can transfer your credits anywhere. And so I was like, okay. And then I went and I found Kent State. I went to several different colleges and looked around. I fell in love with Kent and said, oh, I'm going here. And then like you said, I did have Dr. Nichols on my undergrad, and I had her so far in my master's program. One of my favorite teachers ever in my lifetime because the uh, community organizing class was just, it was freaking amazing. So, but yeah, you know, uh, like I said, a uh, little bit more about me. I didn't mean to live here. I moved here. I was going to stay for six months and help my mom out after my father passed away, and I fell in love with it, and now I bought a home and I've been here ever since and I'm not going anywhere. You know, like she said, I got involved after the orange one got elected. It was something that just, I said, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. So I got involved, got elected to, or got appointed to, and then elected to the executive committee and the central committee for the party. And I, with that, I'm like, I'm going to go back to school at my age. And so I did. And so here I am today. So what what it, what connected for you about that being involved, uh, whether that's civic engagement or political engagement, necessitated you going back to seek more education? You know, it was just that there was so much going on and it didn't seem like anybody cared. The whole reason I got involved was, was because I didn't like what 
Trump obviously represented in 2016. I was very unhappy that he won. Um, but during that time, though, I was canvassing for Hillary. So I reached out to the Ohio Democratic Party because I asked the organizer there. I'm like, what can I do throughout the year to help Democrats? What could I do? And he says, here, email this lady at the party. So I did. And she replied back with canvas for Hillary. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And so I wrote an, uh, an email to my city councilman, uh, Kevin Kelly, and Kevin's secretary called me and said, councilman would like to meet with you. And I went to his office, had a meeting with him. He got me involved. I got involved in Ward Club, which I become the president of. He put me on the executive committee, which then I got elected to. And then I ran for central committee. It was really weird having my name on a ballot and winning an actual election. And so that was a lot of fun, but it, it was just... I was tired of seeing the same old, same old, and, and things just not being addressed that are so easily addressed. And it's like, I got to get involved. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so was that simultaneous with then going back to school? Like, yeah. It, um, you know, because everybody kept saying, well, what's your degree? And I'm like, well, I got an associate's in computer science. And they're like, but you're doing politics. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I probably I like go back to school. And I was scared to death at first. And and I will tell you, it is so funny. My kids still yell at me because they are amazed that the bulk of my friends now are younger than my children. And <laughs> and you know, I, I I got text messages today from a, a couple people, especially Clayton and Tyler and I talked to Spencer. I talked to all these guys that I was in school with and, and they're just like, dad, how, how can you hang out with 25 year old people? I'm like, I don't stay up as late. Um, but, but you know, they're, they're good group guys and, and gals and it's just a lot of fun. I love it. So you referenced that you are involved in the central and executive committee. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of the democratic party in Cuyahoga County. Yes. Except, or, or, or what you didn't say is like, what the heck is the Central and Executive Committee, <laughs> oh. and what is it that those organizations do? Yeah, nobody really knows that. Uh, nobody. Yeah. Looks, uh, <laughs> the um, goal of this podcast is like pull it, it all apart. Yeah, it's you know, honestly, it's the smoke and it's the smoky dark rooms that everybody talks about where all the decisions are made. Now, really, it's uh, the Executive Committee is basically. We're a huge committee. I mean, it's it's all awards. Each precinct gets somebody, and we get together and we will nominate. We'll put, we'll listen to all the Democratic candidates for an office, and then we'll vote on who we want to be the endorsed Democrat. And so, once somebody gets the endorsement from the executive committee, they'll get financial and other support from the party. So that's pretty much what we do. The Central Committee is different in the fact that the Central Committee, if there's a vacancy, will vote on the person to take that person's place. There, we had a state house member that his wife got a job in another area and moved, so he had to vacate his seat. And then we were to, you know, we were going to hold an election where anybody that wanted to run for office could, for that office, could do it. And then the Central Committee, we would elect them. And full disclosure, I told you I'm going to be honest, so I'll be honest. When that happened, it all was done well before the announcement was even made. There was going to be a vacancy, and the guy that wound up getting the seat already had it sewed up and won before we even had a meeting. Um, and that's something I, I really don't like because for the Democratic Party, that's not very democratic. Now, there are positives to the Central Committee. The one thing I love is that we're the precinct leaders. 
And so we will go out and canvas or we'll go out and just engage with our neighbors. So like I'm Ward 13 Precinct O. And so I'll walk my streets. I talk to the people. And what's really cool about it is they will let me know what their concerns are. And no matter what they may be, if it's as simple as a pothole or something, they'll tell me and I can run that back to our elected leaders. So we're really a bridge from our neighborhood up to the elected officials. So that to me is the, the best part about that. So one of the things that's interesting in the way that you were kind of telling that is that, you know, when you started talking, it was very much like these committees are the power brokers, right, of the party, right? Like they're the ones kind of, they're deciding what gets on the agenda, who gets a seat, who gets money and resources to support them. But on the flip side, it's also representative of precinct leaders and neighborhood um, people. And so like there's this interesting kind of intersection can, so can you tell me a little bit about how someone becomes, this is not, this was not even pre-planned. So I'm totally, okay. oh, you can fine. decide if you don't want to answer it, but how does someone become a precinct leader? Well, you go down to the board of elections and you can, you can throw your name on as a write-in candidate. You can collect signatures, get your name on the ballot is, you know, you'll get it. You, I can't remember what the count is for it, but you can get your name actually on the ballot where people go in and vote for that it's usually it's the primary election is where we're elected for that, but we get a nice little certificate saying we won. Yeah, I had five poll votes. I won five votes. That's all it took, and it was me, Zan, her daughter, and my two neighbors. Because <laughs> nobody shows up for a primary election, um, but anybody that wants to do it can. There, even in in my ward thirteen, we probably had. I think the last time I looked, we've got several vacancies where people just don't run for it and you can run for one that you don't even live in. So, I mean, it's a great way to get involved. It really is. Now, so you said that you guys get together and and discuss of the candidates, right? Which one is going to be the endorsed candidates? Mm -hmm. How, how does that happen? So like, I'm thinking like we grade (laughs) something, we have some rubric and we check off whether things were, I mean, is that how that process works? We have, we have bylaws that we follow. So, the chairman of the party right now is Chantel Brown, and we'll see if she gets elected to Congress. But I, I love Chantel; she's amazing. Um, she'll call the meeting. She tells us what we're going to do. She lays out the structure of how it's going to happen. They generally will flip coins if there are multiple candidates to see who's going to go first, who's going to go second. All the candidates will get up on the stage. They'll get the mic. They get really close to it. They reverberate. We're usually in a very hot room no matter what time of year it is um <laughs> and it's sweltering it could be 30 below outside but it'll be 110 in the room because there's so many of us um and then they will go through their speech and then once that's done we will caucus together as a ward so ward 13 my ward will get together kevin's our ward leader so kevin will go through and ask everybody what do you think we'll have a brief discussion and we'll debate back and forth on who we want and sometimes we're unanimous sometimes we're split there there are other there are other ones that sometimes they show up and they just abstain on every single vote and it's like well, why did you come <laughs> but that's that's how they do it and then you know once they they get the endorsement you know and there's the applause and then we move on to the next race now, your your current position is as a field coordinator for various candidates yeah. in the Cleveland area. Can you explain for our listeners what exactly 
field coordinator is and what it is that they do. <laughs> well, it's I'm a, it's officially a field organizer. I can finally say because they both announced over the last two days. So I'm going. I'm working primarily for Kevin Kelly. Um, he's running for mayor of Cleveland, and I'm also working. I'm on the organizing committee, and I'm helping out with Chris Harsh's campaign for city council to take Kevin's seat. Now, as a field organizer, <laughs> uh, basically, it's whatever they want me to do. It, you know, I <laughs> I go out, I knock doors, I, I'm going to be out this weekend, so if anybody's listening and I'm knocking on your door, please answer and sign my petition. It's basically <laughs> to get signatures so I can get Kevin on the ballot. But I'll, I go out and do that. I will canvas. I'll drop off literature. I'll phone bank. I'll, I've got a great app called Peerly where I can text hundreds of thousands of people all at once and respond to them, and they don't have my number, so they can't bother me. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's just there's there's so much that goes on with it. It's just basically whatever needs to be done. Um, I will be training other people to do these things so that way – I can kind of coordinate and they'll go out and canvas and they'll do the things that need to be done. They'll bring it back to me. I'll get it back, entered back into our system. So that way we're, because we're different, we're going to address issues while we do it. What, you know, what's, what's your main concern with the city of Cleveland? What do you want to see done? What do you not want to see done? And so we can relay that back to Kevin and he can adjust policy. So if he does get elected, he knows what we're going to do well in advance before taking office. But it's pretty much just anything that Either candidate wants me to do, I'm there to help. They both realize that I'm good with data. And so now I'm messing with data. Um, so I've got access to all kinds of information. And it's like, it's scary how much information about a human being is available for purchase. I, you know, I was the data I was looking at today. I can tell if a household gets a women's fitness book. Or a magazine, I can tell if you have a dog, a cat, a horse, or any other kind of animal. Um, it's recorded somewhere, and it somehow gets into the system, and then I get to play with it. Um, and, and so I can really individually target a voter, which is scary, but at the same time cool, because it's very helpful. Yeah, it's one of those places between, like, the it's amazing what is available, <laughs> and also, yeah. like, you know, we're human, and we like to be talked to in our full humanity in all the mm -hmm. things that we love, right? Like there's somewhere in the between where you're like, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I get it. I don't know. <laughs> well, so, it's like, Zan, it's like Zan. I, I looked up, you know, cause I'm looking at this data and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to look at me. I'm going to look at Zan. Zan is her first name. Her full name is Zan Marie Chantel Amaru. So she's very French except for the first name. Well, her ethnicity is listed as, Vietnamese. And I'm like, really? I'm like, you're Vietnamese? <laughs> and then her income, it shows it like 30 grand higher than what it is. So I immediately went to her and I'm like, where are you hiding? What have you been keeping from me? I was like, what are you keeping from me? Where are you storing this extra 30 grand? And it's like, she's like, okay, some data obviously is wrong. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> so one of the other things, so we've been talking a lot about local government, how you got involved in kind of Cuyahoga County government, you know, ward-based work, serving in these kind of various, very local levels. Very local. But you also <laughs> were previously an intern for a U.S. senator. You were a part of 
the uh, Kent State's Washington program on national issues uh, yes. last. Oh goodness! So it was the, the <laughs> semester where you all were oh. sent sent back. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a, a dumpster fire yeah. semester. My, the crowning achievement of my senior year was going to spend the last semester of college in Washington D.C. and that went from January to March. And yeah, yeah. And then you got sent. Then I got then I got trapped at home. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the experience oh, of, you know, oh. being part of WPNI, working with the U.S. Senator? Also, how does one become, you know, how does one work for a senator? I don't know. It just seems like one of those things. You're God. like, how um, do you become a precinct leader? I don't know. Yeah, how do you become a senator? You I know, don't know. <laughs> it was so fun. You know, WPNI, uh, anybody that goes to Kent, you really need to do this program. It is the most amazing program. You know, Dr. Robine was fantastic. He's he's left, but um, I think Dr. Cassell's doing it now. But amazing program. I mean, I had such a great experience. It was really wonderful because I could be I could interview and talk to people. Well, not so much interview, but we'd have briefings throughout the city. And so I got to ask questions of high-ranking DOJ officials. And I got to ask questions that they really didn't want to answer as I'm sitting in a room with the thing that says national intelligence. And I'm like, man, I shouldn't be here. Um, <laughs> but I got to ask. I got to ask questions about, well, how did you decide to do this you know, warrantless search? And what what really goes into a FISA application? And why, why would you approve that? And they're like, oh, well, and they would they would actually tell you. Um, my favorite moment is a certain congressman lied to our class in his office, and I couldn't take it anymore. And so I immediately said, no, 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 you're wrong. This is what that legislation did because I read it. You you took away my homeowner's exemption so you could give corporations a giant tax cut. So don't tell me that it wasn't to, to take care of the rich because that's what you did. And my favorite part of that is he immediately looked at his staffer and said, where do I have to be? Exactly, because you don't want to answer my question. Um, but it, it was a lot of fun. Now, working for Senator Brown, I applied for an internship. Somehow I got it. <laughs> and it started off as a regular internship. I got sent home, and then they were kind enough to keep us on. And so originally I was working from my computer, and they would send me batches of voicemails. I could listen to them, flag what needed to be flagged, and send it to the appropriate people. Then they sent me a Senate laptop and they said, hey, we want to pay you as an intern. Will you hang out? And I'm like, sure. So I kept doing the same job. And then they said, hey, we have a staff assistant position open. So I'm like, sure, I'll stay. So in my time out, time with the senator's office, it was well over a year. <laughs> I, let's see, I've been through two impeachments, <laughs> which was interesting. The pandemic, racial justice issues. God, what else? I mean, there's so much habit. I mean, the I was supposed to stay on through the election, so I was there for the highly, wonderfully contested election. I was there for the January or the uh, the uh, oh, insurrection. That I was the insurrection <laughs> at the Capitol on January 6th, and and the funny thing is, my last day was going to be that was scheduled was for that Friday, so. When all that happened, I reached out to my boss and told her, I said, if you need me to stay, I know we're going to be busy. And she goes, oh, bless you. And so I stayed on for another two months just because of that. Um, I stayed on through the inauguration. So there was so much that happened. But it was great. I mean, it's weird having a senator know you by name. <laughs> That's strange to me. But 
you know, working for him, I, I've worked in the private sector years for years and years and years before, but it, it was the same kind of environment, but it was friendlier and more cooperative. People don't step on each other or nasty to each other, but there's a lot of work that goes on and everybody works together. Everybody chips in. Everybody's willing to help. It's the best place I ever worked. Um, I told my boss, Mary Kopolinski, I told her plan out. I said, you realize you ruined me because wherever else I go to work, it's not going to be this good. And they're not going to do things like this. But but it was it was an amazing experience. I still love Senator Brown and, and I'm I still communicate with half of his staff all the time. I mean, we're all friends. And and it was just I, I can't tell you how awesome it was to work there. Now, I, I have a question because. You hear all the time, especially when something's coming up for a vote, contact your senators, contact your senators. And I do. And I've had one of our senators uh, no longer (laughs) returns either my emails or my calls. I I may be a little bit annoying about it. But do they actually, like, listen and tally these calls? Do these calls, are they effective? They actually, they are. You would be amazed at how many phone calls we get. I could tell you that not only do we get live calls, but when you can't get through to a live staff member, you go into voicemail. And there were times that I'd look and go, oh, we have 10,000. But it's effective because what we do is they have a, a nice computer system set up. They got a great little database. And so what happens is you call in, I take down your information, I put in your opinion, and that gets logged. And so that way the person that's legislatively in charge of that issue area is going to know that we got a call and this is what it was. And then they report back to Senator Brown says, this is what the people of Ohio were talking about. The flip side of that is the other thing that I don't think a lot of people know, but a Senate office does a lot of casework. They help people every single day. It's amazing. If there's any kind of issue, you contact the Senator, they've got somebody to deal with it. It, it, you know, it was frightening to me to hear all the different complaints, but the answer to your question is yes. He actually, your senators actually know um, there's a, the other Senator, which I'm pretty sure doesn't respond to you. Doesn't respond to me either. You know, and, and I met the man and <laughs> I explained to him who he was and he's like, Oh yeah, that's right. You don't like me, but yeah, he generally, I'll send a email or make a phone call about a certain issue and they'll send me some blanket response of something I didn't even mention. But Senator Brown's office, they work really hard to make sure we're actually dealing with constituents. Constituents are his number one priority. And so they, they take priority over anything else going on. So, I mean, there are times we had everybody on staff is answering the phone. So you could be talking to the chief of staff and not know it, but she's answering the phone. I mean, it, it was, it's a really cool environment and, and it really does. It really will put that on his list of things of, Oh, okay. I need to be aware of this. Now. I mean, you've worked at so many different levels of government, right? Yes. Cleveland <laughs> city council, I, you know, you know, sure. Brown's office. What, differences and similarities do you kind of see concerning civic engagement across these various levels of government? You know, there are different levels of engagement just based on the difference between what's going on in the city and what's going on in the state or what's going on nationally. So, I mean, that, that engagement is different. And so we deal with it. uh, We deal with everything. But it, but it comes, it just comes down to where do we need to put this? Who needs to be aware of it? But for me, I mean, it, 
it, I look at the size of staff, like Kevin's got two people that work for him. Kevin's more accessible because he's out and about in the city almost at, you know, practically every minute of the day he's not sleeping. But he can real easily engage with people because he'll walk those streets with us. If you got a pothole problem, boom, you call the office, they say something, he makes a phone call or he sends an email, it gets handled. When it comes to national issues, things like that, it's a little different. We respond about the same way, but it's not Senator Brown doing a lot of that. It's the staff doing it. And so, you know, you need help with Social Security. We got somebody that's going to deal with that. Oh, you need help getting a visa. We got somebody that deals with that. Oh, you need to get an expedited passport. Let me send you to this person. So, I mean, it's so many different things. So, I mean, the engagement's there and, and it's it's fantastic. Like I said, all of it's recorded. No matter what we do, everything goes into the computer. So we know what we've done for every single constituent. And, and so Kevin's the same way. They keep track of what goes on. So it, there's, it's a lot of fun uh, on both levels, but it's just, it just varies based on the 11 million people plus that Jared serves versus the 25,000 that Kevin currently serves. So it, it's because uh, if you look at it, like I can tell you as a fact right now, I know that there are people that applied for unemployment last March who never got paid. There are people still missing their first stimulus check. There are people still missing their first IRS check. Kevin's not going to deal with that. Sure, it will. But if, if you've got a tree that's going to fall down, Kevin's going to deal with that. If you've got a pothole, Kevin's going to deal with that. So it, it's just really what it's just the nuts and bolts of, of what each person needs. That's fantastic. I mean, it's it's nice. It, we've had a couple of different guests that have moved between different levels of government and it's whether it was weird county when to you state, do. county. And, like, right? So just... There's so many similarities and yet so many differences in terms of how they're structured and, you know, just the scope. And and when you're there in person, it's a lot easier for me to walk around City Hall and, and, you know, wave to the mayor. And then it's a lot different, you know, walking into the Democratic cloakroom in the Senate and you're standing there going, wow, I'm feet away from being on the floor of the Senate. Um, It's a different environment, you know, in the city. I go wear a polo shirt and some khakis there. I got I got all three pieces of suit on and I got (laughs) cufflinks and I got lapel pins and and wonderful badges that allow me access. So, I mean, just, man, totally different atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you the way that you've told this story is that you got involved because you were frustrated by a political event. 2016 for you was a significant political event that frustrated you. And then that took off, right? Like, so you started volunteering and you reached out and you got elected, you got appointed, you've become a staffer at all different levels. You studied political science. You have been in DC, you've been in city hall, right? This story is kind of fantastic, right? In terms of this moment can really trigger for someone just a change yes. in how they engage in the world. Oh, absolutely. So Mike, I have a question for you kind of that's, that's pretty broad. This is part of this, this episode is part of a series that we call the power of political and civic engagement. I think you've already highlighted for us the power of political and civic engagement, <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about how you define political and civic engagement, but but maybe even a little bit different than we normally ask it? 
How has your definition evolved? Well, I define political engagement easily because to me, that's volunteering for a campaign. That's donating money to a campaign. That's attending ward club meetings. That's reaching out to elected officials from the precinct committee all the way up to sending President Biden a nice little note in the mail. You know, it. You know, it, it's just that thing to me is being politically engaged is actively seeking out your own self-interest. And, and that's what's really evolved for me was the self-interest aspect, because, you know, I vote for candidates because as a Democrat, usually because we're on the same page. There are some things that I like about some Republicans, not much, but I can understand their point. Being involved on the different levels of government has really shifted how i look at things it's so funny because people always assume like dc wise that it's like you see on tv everybody's yelling at each other nobody works together that's all bullshit it really is i cannot tell you how much senator brown works with senator portman or how much my little friend bill johnson from southern ohio a very very trumpian reaganish republican will work with tim ryan and I asked Bill Johnson because Bill Johnson's the one I, I got in his face about the 2017 job tax cut act. But Bill Johnson and I become buddies. And, you know, I asked him point blank. I said, how is it that we don't see this? And he goes, because it's not newsworthy. It's not newsworthy. If we're, if we're getting along, that's that's never going to get played on the air. He goes, but if we're, you know, if they want a partisan divide, they're going to show it. But it, it that's what's really changed is how much people really work together. It the stuff you see on TV is all show. I mean that's that's just for show appealing to the base. Behind the scenes, they work together all the time. They they just don't show it. Um, so that's what changed for me. But you know, the other thing with political engagement to me is protest. Ashley knows this because I enjoy protest. I think it is the best way possible to be able to express your opinions. When I was in DC, again, I was like, who's going to the women's march? I'm going. <laughs> and so I got to hold up some relatively crude signs to let Trump know what we thought. But, you know, being there with thousands and thousands of people, you know, it's going to draw attention. It's going to get attention in the media, which is really going to get the attention of your elected representative. And to me, that that's the heart and soul of that. You know, when I look at it from a civic engagement level, to me, that's always really about the quality of, of life that is in my neighborhood or, you know, my area, because it, it's it's just the betterment of the community. It's it's about the greater good. And I know people are like, oh, greater good socialist. Yes, socialist, whatever. Um, but, you know, that's where we can work with a, with a nonprofit. We don't have to go to City Hall. We don't have to reach out to our elected leaders. If there's a problem and you got a CDC, which usually everybody has a community development corporation, we have Old Brooklyn Community Development Corporation, we can go right to them and say, hey, this is a problem in our community. Boom, they're on it. And they'll work with us. And it's it's just really about that communication between me and my neighbor or me and the guy down the street that, hey, you know, we both want to solve this problem. Like right now we, we're dealing with lead-based paint in the area. We're dealing with, with the trash pickup because recycling went south and we're trying to figure out a way and we're going to be figuring out a way to fix that so we can get back to the recycling. And it's like, why am I throwing all this stuff in the recycling? Because you're taking it to the dump. So it, it, it's really more about that to me when it comes to the civic engagement aspect. So I have a, I have a quick follow-up on that. 
right? Because you talked about everything from like voting and political protest to, to kind of, you know, showing up at your local community development corporation, community-based organization, community building stuff. Do you think that, you know, civic engagement in that space can, can be successful without kind of the complement of political engagement or, or is that too simplistic of a, of a question? I I really wish it could. I I don't think it can, just because I think the two are so intertwined. If I like I said, if I want to do something in my community, just just Ward thirteen precinct O, and I want to work with OD, you know, Old Brooklyn to help do something, I can do that. I don't have to worry about Kevin. I don't have to bother. But if I want to see something take off and be something that is great for the betterment of all of our communities, all of our wards, that's going to take political pressure. It's going to be, you've got to reach out. You've got to get engaged with the politician to say, this is what we want and this is why we want it. You know, I know Kevin, I I wrote Kevin about lead-based paint. I've been writing him about internet access because we're one of the worst connected cities in America. And it's like, we really need to take care of this if you get elected. And and where I live, and one of the things I did for city council is we have free Wi-Fi here. It's not the greatest, but anybody that's in this area can get on it. And the pandemic really exposed how much internet is not available to people. And so as somebody that takes online classes, it's important that I have it. And I know that kids in my neighborhood are like, they're like, you know, it's slow, but at least I can do my homework. At least I can listen to my, you know, whatever podcasts they're listening to or whatever, you know, iHeartRadio or what have you. Obviously, it was growing democracy. They're obviously listening to democracy. democracy. A lot of people, (laughs) well, I'm sure that was the bulk of it. But they're they're thankful for that. And then what's funny is they're like, we got friends that live down here and they can't do that because they don't have internet. And it's like, why can't this be a city-wide issue? Why don't we expand it from here? It's been here for the last seven years, why can't we move it to the rest of Cleveland? And so I know that I've griped about it enough that hopefully if he's elected, that'll get addressed or whoever is elected will address that because it's something that really needs to be done. Now, so very clearly there was a defining political event (laughs) that precipitated all of this kind of, you know, forward movement on Uh, your part. But what, what? The orange crush. (laughs) But that, but what keeps you motivated to continue to do this work? Oh, you know, the to me, it's really helping people. I mean, that is something, especially at Senator Brown's office, I fell in love with because they actually trusted me enough to call people back and talk to people and help people. Um, it's that 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 you know, it, it's just being able to engage with my neighbors, no matter what their political beliefs are, no matter what their feelings are, it's to be able to engage. So I can you know, say, you might be a Republican. We may disagree, but what is really concerning you? If I could fix one thing for you, what can it be? And they'll tell me, Hey, you know what? I want this road paved. And I'll be like, you know what? I live on the same street. I do too. And it's a phone call. It's like, Hey, when is my road getting paved tomorrow? Okay. Awesome. And then I get the thumbs up when I, you know, they drive by and Hey, Bill. Yes, we got that done. Um, it's helping people. I mean, there are times that I, <laughs> I've run into people, a funny story. I can tell you, I was at a, uh, bagel shop and I went in there once and this is pre pandemic, you know, back when you could go places 
So I sat down, I was, I had a bagel. I was going to drink a cup of coffee. I was waiting on my better half to finish what she was doing. So I'm like, I'm hanging out here. Well, these people started talking about the death tax and how awful it is that the government taxes us when we're dead. And I couldn't help myself. I had to say, hang on, do you understand how it works? And they're like, yeah, we die and the government taxes us. I'm like, no, 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 no. So I explained it to them and said, what happens is if you have an estate over $11 million, you're going to pay a tax. I'm like, do any of you have an estate over $11 million? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, okay, so you would never be subjected to that tax. I'm like, being that you pushed and they're going to, and they did take it away and raise the amount. I said, who do you think is going to make up for the income? And they just all sat there and one guy goes, holy shit, they're going to tax me. I'm like, you're damn right they are. Because you you elected a guy that told you this was bad for you, but he lied to you. And now your self-interest has gone away and the richest self-interest got better. And now we're stuck because we're all going to pay higher taxes for them. And so they were all like, well, that's really cool. Nobody's ever explained that to us. And I enjoyed that. And they're like, well, thanks. Granted, they were a group of Republicans. They're like, you're a Republican? I'm like, God, no. Um, and they're like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm one of those. But but they were thankful that I explained it to them because they didn't know. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, Here's my phone. You can Google how this works, but they didn't know. But it was all because they bought into the bullshit that somebody else would said, "Oh, the death tax government's going to tax you when you die." No, they're not. So, so I'm like, I'm like, like processing this in this moment, um, because it's a. I think a lot of what you're suggesting, and I wrote it while I was like listening to you talk, and I wrote down like basically the power of identifying common interest, right? So it's pretty easy. Yeah. And you mentioned this earlier too, right? Like the, the things that go unnoticed outside of the media are is yeah. kind of a bipartisanship um, at the national level. Um, the examples of, you know, being in community with people, Democrats and Republicans and having conversations. Obviously, your identity and your, uh, maybe not identity, but your affiliation with the Democratic Party is a, a really important part of who you are, um, how you engage yes. politically, how you've how you've been working. But I think one of the things that I, I, I really want to draw out here is just your conversation in so many different places around the power of being in community with people, even if you don't yeah. agree with all elements, and I, seeking to identify those common places of interest. And I think it's a pretty powerful statement, um, especially yeah. in such a deeply polarized kind of partisan well, space. Yeah. <laughs> deeply, deeply <laughs> partisan. You know, my, I'll be honest, my, my favorite thing in 2020 was I had a gentleman that lived down the street that had probably 20 Trump signs in, in 2016 come and knock on my door. And he just said, I just want to tell you, I was sorry. He's not what I thought he was. I'll vote for Biden. I'm like, good. Thanks. We're on the same page. It's okay. I'm like, he's like, you're not mad at me. I'm like, why am I mad at you? I'm like, you voted your way because you felt that way. And I'm okay with that. And and that's what lacks in this country is that we we're tending to identify solely on which party we vote for. And I am so tired of that because at the end of the day, we're all Americans. And you know, I, I have friends on both sides of the aisle. One of my one of my best friends is an ultra right leaning libertarian, and politically we agree on nothing. We both like to go to the theater. We both enjoy reading certain books. We can, you know, we talk about that. But when we talk about politics, it's different because we don't yell at each other. 
we we actually sit down and discuss different things about policy. And, and I wish that people would stop being so politically minded. You know, I you know people are like oh Trump people are racist and they're morons and they're this and that. No, they're not. They they just have a different way. They don't like things that we do, whether it's it's a woman's right to choose, which I believe in, when they don't. You know, it, it's simple as that. But you know that I keep telling people this is easily solvable. If you don't want to have an abortion, don't have one. But you don't get to tell anybody else what to do because you you were afraid of losing your right to a gun. Well, why should they lo- lose their right to decide what to do with their body? <laughs> and so it's different when you approach people that way, and you're not combative. And I think too many people are too combative. I wish it was different. I wish it was easier. I wish it was like it was 20, 30 years ago. (laughs) So now does an informed populace translate for you into an engaged populace or is, is an engaged populace something different? (sighs) An engaged populace to me, I'm going to be honest. I'll be frank. It's people that get off their ass and go vote. I mean, that's the best way to be engaged as a populist. Now, with that said, it it depends on the knowledge you're taking in. If it's from some idiot that's got a letter as an initial and tells you that, you know, Democrats eat people, (laughs) that's not true. Why you believe this beyond me. But it's, you know, I don't get how an informed, how people think they're informed because they read Reddit. You're going to believe some just total BS article on Reddit, but you're going to say, oh, that article in the Plain Dealer, that's a lie. That's mainstream media. No, it's not. That's truth versus fiction. I wish the populace was more informed. I wish that they would get back to things that I had as a child called civics classes that I went to in middle school and high school where they taught things. They taught how politics work. They taught what civic values were. They taught those things to us. They don't do that anymore. I, I looked at, you know, there was something I was looking at because when, when my youngest was in high school, the last one, she's like, I got to take this government class. And I'm like, well, how long is your government class? She goes, well, it's like a 20 minute thing. How are you going to learn anything in a brief period of time like that about how government works? And so my kids always hate it because I gave them civic lessons, but we really need to get back to that so people understand how things work. I can't tell you how many people would call Senator Brown's office and said, you know, like the, the, all the stuff that went on with householder. They're like, Senator Brown needs to go on the floor of the Ohio Senate and say this. I'm like, well, he works in the national Senate. No, he's not. <sighs> they don't know because they're not, they're just not informed. I wish they were. I wish people would pay more attention to actual news. Listen to NPR. They'll tell you straight down the middle how something is. You don't have to listen to Fox. You don't have to listen to CNN. Just watch NPR. Watch PBS. It it, it works. But man, I, I really wish that people would become more involved, especially voting. I, I just looked at an article again because it just it kills me. Australia has the compulsory voting we really need that. We really need to say, if you don't vote, we're going to find you. And then people will vote. Um, will they pick the best candidate? Probably not, but it, it would be a lot better than like, you know, they, they said the 2020 election, what a success. So many people, blah, 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 160 million people voted. Okay. That's 47% voted. That's nothing to cheer about because 53% didn't, which means my vote counted twice. 
everybody that voted, your vote got to count twice because more people didn't vote. And it's like, and, and I hate it, and I agree with the old sentiment, if you don't vote, you don't get a bitch. Um, but uh, I, I just wish they were more protest. I do love protest. <laughs> I do love protest. But because, again, protest is going to get a media attention, and that's going to get the politicians' attention, and they're going to be, well, we really need to look at that. You know, I mean, January 6th, that, that whole fiasco was awful, but boy, did it sure enlighten a bunch of people in Congress to, uh-oh, we got to do something about this. And, and so while it was an awful protest, and, and I would have been on the other side of that protest if, if I would have been there, but, it, you know, it it really served an end because now we got armed National Guard troops outside protecting our capital. Okay, so we have covered so many things in this <laughs> short period of time from, like, running for uh you know precinct delegate yeah to kind of your role in all these different places in uh from 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 county to city to federal government and some of your philosophies on kind of identifying common interests and engagement um and and the ways in which you would love to see people kind of civically and politically engaged what else would you like to add? Do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? <laughs> for the love of all that's holy, please vote in your local elections. <laughs> it, it, the only time people really turn out to presidential, and I don't understand that because your local laws, your local representation are going to affect your daily lives a lot more than whatever idiot sitting in the Oval Office. But I, I, I just I highly encourage people, please, please, please vote. It, it, it is the easiest thing to do. I mean, granted, they we've got 47 states that are trying to make it harder. But right now, you can still vote early. You can vote. Uh, you can vote any day of the week with, with early voting. I hate that elections are on Tuesday, but it is what it is. But go, please go vote. But I, I want I would love more than anything for people to pay attention to what's really going on, what candidates are talking about, what they're lying about, and vote for the right person. But the, the key is oh, just to vote. If you do anything in your life, please just vote, especially local elections. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on with us, Bill. It was a real pleasure. Oh, not a problem. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy Podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan, and with me as always is my co-host Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is produced by David Yursa and edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio. Our podcast is supported by the American Political Science Association and our Patreon patrons. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. If you want to support the show, as well as get access to behind-the-scenes content, live chat, swag, featuring designs by donuts and coffee, head over to patreon.com forward slash growingdemocracyoh. Join us next time when we continue this conversation about political and civic engagement.